0: This is a Lip Media podcast. Hello and welcome to Hunting Seasons. Some bad hat hair.
1: It's a Get any of that? Not a
0: doctor. Bye. Have a beautiful From The podcast that dares to binge watch, deep dive, and break down a season of television each and every episode. I'm Broderick Gordis. I'm Damask Leary. And today we'll be discussing The Sopranos Season 3. Damask Leary, happy 2021, the first podcast of the year. And to
1: you, and to you. How are we doing? Pretty good. I feels the same. Yeah, <laughs> it's, I mean, not a lot has happened just yet, but uh, fingers crossed, something cool happens. I don't know
0: if maybe oh, you're not Biden's in, our lives. in now.
1: <laughs> uh, congratulations, America! I suppose
0: having an adult in charge again. Yeah, I mean he's a super adult, but in terms of his age, but <laughs> uh, it is he nice is. to just feel some competence in mm. there for once. Because, I don't know. The at early stages. I like the direction things are heading. Mm, Over there. So far,
1: like, the pilot is promising. The pilot is promising. First
0: week went pretty well. It did. Um, What have you been up to anyway with your time off? We haven't recorded for about a month now.
1: What have I done? I started watching Superstore, which I'm really enjoying. Mm. Um, I mean, I thought the first episode was quite saccharine, but then it gets really good after that. That's that's, like a
0: workplace comedy. Yeah, it's it's filled
1: the hole that The Office and Parks and Rec used to. Obviously, it's not as beloved to me. Yet, but I'm really enjoying it. It's really good. That's
0: coming to a close soon, isn't it? From memory, I think even it if might it have... hasn't
1: already finished, yeah. Okay, cool. It's, it's got like five seasons, so I've got plenty to dive into.
0: Been to the movies for a, <gasps> a second time. Congratulations! Since we've been allowed to do that. Which what is did nice. you see? So promising young woman. There's not much to see. Is the problem? <laughs> That's a
1: good point. Yep.
0: There's that new Raya Uriah, and mm. the Last Dragon Disney I think there's film a coming sea out. Sea Lion
1: movie at IMAX. You can check <laughs> out if you
0: want. Uh, things like that, like as mm. they were release i was looking forward to bond in april that has been pushed back to october again
1: can we get it though well that's the well, thing. we've done such a good job don't we get it wrong?
0: promise not to spoil it for the rest of the <laughs> sure. world release it here as like yeah. a test audience you can go back and recut it if you need to we'll tell you what's wrong yeah. with it uh promise i won't spoil it for other mm. countries yeah if the rest of the them just get their st- shit together we could get movies again because that's the most important <laughs> thing for <bro>. us <laughs> This goes in just oh, before God. we start recording. Yeah. I'm having a, like a diatribe about my latte glasses and <laughs> why <laughs> I think they feel like plastic. The mask is like,
1: yeah, changed me. Yeah. <laughs> Things are tough for you, homeowner. Wow, wow. <laughs> the class difference has become more and more apparent.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, what about these kids? The tanking the stock market. Oh, how dare they!
1: I've read lots of tweets about that. I don't understand it still, and I'm also. Not that interested. I,
0: I think I understand it, but I definitely don't mm. quite. But it kind of feels like a very cool populist movement against the 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 one percent mm. that I'm super behind.
1: I'm seeing lots of talk about hedge fund bros yes um, so that's cool I suppose. <laughs> I don't understand any of it I don't understand stocks
0: I'll, I'll try and explain it to you when I'm not recording it so people can <laughs> tear it apart Okay. Uh, I also just want to mention quickly last night we recorded an episode of the Swapcast podcast with uh, Paul, Lucy and Brendan we did which was quite fun we were talking about the movie Soul which mm-hmm. by the time our podcast this is out I think there's oh, I'll probably isn't out yet it'll be out soon in the next week or so mm-hmm. um, so look out for that as well if you enjoy the Swapcast podcast maybe that's stuff.
1: why I feel so loopy and insane because we did this last night. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Possibly. Uh, let's do it again though. And get to our spoiler-free review of The Sopranos season three. Let me clue you in. Season in review. We return to New Jersey and the Soprano family once again, as the FBI do their clumsy best to bug Tony's basement and finally get some dirt on him that will stick. Familiar faces from years past are joined by notable inclusions Jason Serboni, Annabella Siora, and Joe Pantoliano, while Steve Buscemi also stopped by when he just happened to be in the area to direct an episode or whatever. Soprano Season 3 consists of 13 episodes, each coming in at around 53 minutes, and took us approximately 11 hours and 25 minutes to watch. Mask Leary, mm. can you just remind the audience what you thought of the first two seasons of The Sopranos, which we uh, should say we reviewed season two 12 months ago and eight months before that was when we reviewed season one. So there's been big breaks in between. Yeah,
1: so I'll be honest, don't remember a whole lot. I mean, I don't remember when we watch a show like The Week Prime. Like, I think I liked it. Who's to say? Uh, but no, I I did really like the first one. I mean, it was very apparent that it existed... In a different time. Mm. Um, and you could feel that. But I was just so impressed by what they had managed to pull off in the time that they did. Um, yeah. And I really enjoyed it. And I was compelled by a lot of the characters. Um, season two, I think I liked as well, right? Uh, you can probably less, tell me less. I think. Yeah.
0: I think we both ultimately had the same sort of reaction. We mm. enjoyed season one, maybe found season two a little bit, I don't know what the word would be again, a year ago since I saw it. <laughs> um, just sort of waiting for something to to push the story forward, gotcha. or yeah, propel it, propel it a mm-hmm. bit forward. Yeah, we were the 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 common theme we had here was, are we coming at this twenty years too late? Because yeah. a lot of we're watching a lot of current TV, mm-hmm. which definitely has built on the foundation of Sopranos sort of set up yeah. in the late nineties, early two thousands.
1: Pacing is certainly something that comes to mind when I think of Sopranos. I'm going to talk
0: about yeah. pacing a bit in my review. Great. Uh, <laughs> Do you want to start with your review of season three?
1: No, I think that's a perfect <laughs> way to lead you. Damn go. it. Sorry.
0: That's what I get. All right, I'll go first. I wish, I wish, I wish I was more enthusiastic about this show. It's not fun to feel let down by something that many people I respect, adore, and admire so much. This is not a bad show. I'm not saying that not even for a second. I
1: think he is, guys. Get him.
0: <laughs> but was if it wasn't already obvious, and I did say it stated already, I think I'm just coming at it 20 years too late. The elements I enjoyed in Sopranos Season 1 and Season 2 remain in Season 3. The writing is authentic and often cheeky. James Gandolfini particularly, but the entire cast are generally doing great work. The show is extremely invested in the interior lives of, interior lives of its characters, and when it wants to, it can be rather weird and creative in an almost Lynchian fashion. That just hasn't been enough for me. The question I'm left asking myself is, what is the biggest draw of this show? What brings me back? What am I looking forward to every week? Because it's not the narrative. It's seldom mm. that I finish an episode and think, wow, can't wait to see what happens next. And it's not my feelings for the characters necessarily. I'm just not that fond of, compelled by, or connected to anyone let alone a collection of characters or their plights to care about them or look forward to seeing more of them Mm. individual aspects of the craft of the show are often impressive especially for its time as you were saying earlier but that is not the reason i watch tv i watch to be drawn into a world under a story and be affected one way or another Uh, i obviously have an interest in why a show does or doesn't work i mean i make this podcast but that is after the fact Strong craft is not a diet that can sustain my interest for 11 hours if you can't get me invested in the story. So what's going wrong here? I think it boils down to a deadly mix of pace, which you mentioned, Mm. focus, and variety. Mm -hmm. This is a slow show. Nothing happens fast if much happens at all. That can be a good thing. A show that is interested in its characters rather than the plot or narrative or events or stuff um, happening can compel me plenty. But other elements need to fill the narrative gap. There at least needs to be some variety, new ideas, angles, challenges to put these characters through different paces than the ones we've seen before. Variety, however, does not mean shipping in new or returning characters for a few episodes to take us uh, up some space and then leave again just as quickly. Instead, focus on the elements in play, making it meaningful before moving on to the next toy in the box. I think a lot of people are going to disagree with what I'm saying here, but I'm interested to talk about it with you if you feel anything similar to what I am. Multiple times throughout the show, Tony sitting in Dr. Melphy's office moans. That this therapy seems to be tak It uh, seems to be treading over the same ground with little notable change or measurable results. Halfway through the acclaimed show, Tony stars in. I'm starting to understand his frustration.
1: The mm. mask. Sick Ben. Mm. <laughs> what do you think? Um, I've written down a couple of thoughts. Mm. Um, <clears throat> that I will now share with you and our audience. <laughs> I hope you're ready. Whoa! This is a press conference. <laughs> Holy shit. All right, so you might be forgiven for thinking the premiere of season three is a movie-length special. It, in fact, is only about 45 minutes long. (laughs) It runs at a snail's pace, but it does, I think, allow its audience to be reintroduced into the world of the show. The Sopranos, both the nuclear family and the capital F family, focuses a lot of its time on sitting and waiting. Will the shit hit the fan? Not yet. What about now? Nope. We're going to get a lot of Meadow and AJ growing up instead. Is it going to hit the fan now? Nope. We've got more therapy sessions and watching the intricacies of Tony and Carmella's marriage. And that's kind of what this show is predominantly going to be about. Little moments in between. All these characters live in a violent world. There will inevitably be violence, but the many microscopic decisions that lead to it, many of which can seem innocuous, are what we'll be viewing for much of the show's runtime, which I think is what you're talking yes, about. Yes, exactly. Um, and it is a pace that always takes me a while to adapt to. It, it, I, I might have mentioned this in an earlier review of the show, but it kind of reminds me when I start, reading like a Jane Austen novel and I start reading, I'm like, I can't get into this. Sure. And then within like a chapter or two, I'm like, okay, I've got I've got the rhythm. I've reminded myself what what this is. And it's the same thing with this show as a lot of shows from like back in the day and stuff. Um so, but however this season, just when I felt like I had adapted, I hit a flurry of episodes that I found unbearable to watch. Broad's got uh, his hand up. Yes. Because I want to agree
0: with that as well. It's <laughs> mm. funny thing was I didn't say this in my review The actual early few episodes Mm. I was feeling quite good about. Mm -hmm. The first episode you're talking about feeling like it a snail's pace. I was actually like, well, that was a fun episode. I enjoyed that. Two, three, four. I was like, oh, I think I'm starting to really like the Spino's. And then something happened in the middle. I'm like, oh, boy. Uh, hmm, I'm struggling all of a sudden. And that continued for the rest of the season.
1: Yes. So so that flurry of episodes that hit, um, they made me feel as though there was perhaps an uninterrupted and almost unexamined depiction of violence against women that feels really dated. Cause obviously like game of Thrones and a bunch of newer shows do that as well. But this, like the amount that it was happening. Yeah. It, it feels of its time. Um, and I understand that we are watching violent men who have a disregard for most people, but they certainly do for women. However, when we look at, those acts of violence and how they're shown on screen and their reasons for existing in this show, mm. I just don't want to see it because I'm tired of seeing it. It's Yeah, like I said, it's of its time and even, you know, the decade plus since it's aired, there's so much of that shit. Yep. Um, so now that I'm going back and watching it, I'm like, oh, fuck this. Um, and this show is about those who benefit from violent delights. But not a lot of time is spent on thinking about the people who time and time again end up in the body bags. Women get raped, beaten and murdered. It feels like a season of fridging. These things, well said. Ha- these things happen, like it happens to a woman that a man cares about so he can reflect or a man does this to a woman so that he can feel contrition, change or perhaps um, so others can categorize him as a villain. It doesn't change the fact that the women are still left beaten, raped and murdered, many of which are only ever depicted as sad people whose desperation to be loved blinds them to the monsters they surround themselves with. I mean, take a drink every time a woman hysterically screams or cries or is seen as clinging too hard to the arm of a man. They are annoying in a way that makes the audience hate them or they are so innately tragic they only read as natural collateral. This show does have Carmela though, and I do really love her. I'm thankful to see her. But the few episodes in the middle of this season disturbed me. And maybe that's the point, but I don't think the intention of the show is for you to walk away thinking more about the lives of these women. You are meant to think about what it means to our male characters. And I think you can do both. I think a balance can be struck. But this season, it was just way too much for me. And that may not bother some people. That's fine. But it certainly bothered me. On another note, the predominant focus for this season is morality, morality, morality. Where do we draw the line? Is creating our own boundaries enough? Who do we answer to and what does that say about us? How often can we push past these walls that we have until they no longer really exist anymore and until they're transformed from hard structures to traverse into a series of gates we walk through and the motion of pushing is just symbolic and perfunctory. Well, sometimes I don't like the way in which these boundaries are moulded together because often those boundaries are in the shapes of people who aren't really people but only narrative devices. The journey itself does still hold value to me and I am interested. I want to and will continue to watch, but this season I just felt a bit distraught, a bit flat, and I just needed a fucking break by the time it was over. And that's my review.
0: talking about like the... Thematic pull or push of this mm. season in terms of morality and like where your boundaries are and stuff like that. The question I have is: Did you feel like that was specifically different or unique to previous seasons? Because that's the the other thing that's mm. frustrating me. It's kind of what I'm saying. It's like it feels like we're trying the same ground here. Mm-hmm. Carmela's situation with Tony doesn't feel all that different from season one, expressed differently, mm. maybe a bit more. Uh, I better articulate it because people are directly telling her, you know, what's going on this mm. season, and she's she did make a bit of a change by the end of it. Don't to spoil too much, twenty year old show, but, um, but I was like, boy, we've been we're really doing this with Carmela for three seasons now, and I feel pretty much the same about Tony, and I feel yeah. the same about most characters in this show.
1: Do you think that? And I I don't disagree with what you're saying there. Do you mm. think the fact that we know there are several other seasons after this? That the tension is lost, particularly with Carmella, because you don't think that change is possible or certainly not change at this point in the show's run?
0: No. No, okay. I don't think so because I know shows that will do that. That will mm. tease it for a couple of seasons. That's the main drive between it's married protagonists mm-hmm. and then the show realises when it's just, it's had enough of this. It can't yeah. sustain it for more seasons and makes that thing happen to to push the story forward, mm-hmm. it's a show that we might review actually um, in the future. I hope and like when that like you 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 give it credit because the show knew that it had to do that at that mm-hmm. time. I'm um, just worried the show is holding back. There's a question I want to ask you in the spoiler area. Can't wait. Of what has happened over three seasons of Sopranos? Mm. Like what. At what has occurred? Like, really, let's talk about narratively what's changed over Mm -hmm. three seasons. Yeah, and I don't know if it's been that much. I think back to the start of the start of season three and the end of season three, and I'm not really sure. I'm scratching my noggin. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. and and again, it doesn't need to be a narrative focused (laughs) show. Yeah, but something, give me something. We like. Character change,
1: though, don't you? You do, I, and I think there has been a bit of that. But I see what you're saying. Mm. I see what you're saying.
0: Yeah. What would you give this season out of five stars?
1: I've given it three point five.
0: That I'm I'm teetering between three and three point five. The first season four, second season three point five. It's like I do think this season is slightly better than last season. Weirdly enough,
1: mm-hmm.
0: because there was a series of episodes here that I really enjoyed.
1: One episode that I really loved. I was like, this is what I want to watch. Yeah.
0: Sure. Uh, I'm going to give it 3.5 as well. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I feel like I'm giving this show extra points just because of its legacy. Well, though. that's
1: what happens though. I mean, I feel like I did that for a lot of Breaking Bad.
0: Like if I gave this a three, people yeah. would be chasing me with pitchforks and torches. I don't think that many people care about your
1: opinion, Brad. I don't think you have to worry about it. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June.
0: Before we get to our spoiler talk, uh, we just like to ask everyone who's listened to the podcast to please, please, please review us on Apple Podcasts. It is the most important thing you can do to help the show. Throwing five stars our way and maybe some nice words goes a long way to getting other people to listen to the show.
1: And you know what, guys? I'm going to offer you something pretty special that we've never, never offered before. <laughs> um, if we reach 25 written reviews on Apple Podcasts, you know what? I'll give you something. I'll give you a review of Buffy the Vampire Slayer <sighs> Season 1. I know, I'm generous, ah! but I'm in the mood, you know?
0: Or, you won't get Buffy the Vampire Slayer for doing this, but please share this with friends and family, people you think might enjoy listening to the show. Pass it along to them. Put it on their podcast feed, break into their phone. Mm-hmm. You know their passcode. Yeah, Get it downloading. Or just
1: chop off their thumb, use that. That'll that works, yeah.
0: And when they get into the car and it kicks their Bluetooth, oh my goodness, Hunting yeah. Season's playing and they get to hear it for and the first And they're like,
1: time. that's why Cheryl cut off my thumb. <laughs> yeah. All right, next week we'll be back with our review of Ted Lasso's Season 1. If you would like to contribute to our discussion of that show or if you want to have a little chat about The Sopranos, you can write to us or send an audio recording because I want to hear your beautiful voice that we may include on a future episode to contact at huntingseasonspodcast.com or find us on Twitter at hunting.
0: But right now, let's talk spoilers for The Sopranos season three.
1: You're now entering the spoiler zone.
0: Spoiler warning. From here on, we'll be discussing everything that happens in season one, two, and three of The Sopranos. Before listening any further, we recommend watching all of The Sopranos up to this point. If you've not yet done so, Proceed with caution. There are spoilers ahead. You You have have been been
1: warned.
0: Warned.
1: Kids, I'm going to tell you an incredible story. Story Storytime with Damask. I want to thank David Chase for giving me the opportunity to work on my mafiosa accent once again, which I will now use to read storytime. The gabagoo a goomba yaba Doo Nope, damn it, lost it. All right, I'll just use my usual <laughs> annoying Australian accent. Here we go. Tony's just living his usual life of wearing a robe around the house, rocking a pinky ring, and devouring cold baked ziti from the night before. You know the dream. The feds want to get to know him better, so they bug his house. They don't hear much, though, unless you count Meadow talking about her college experience while folding laundry, which you shouldn't. Tony's back in therapy to work on himself and his mummy issues, which are interrupted when his mum dies. RIP Livia. You might think this would help Tony resolve some things. It doesn't, though. He just transfers his love of a manipulative and toxic woman to his new guma, Gloria. You'd think the symbolism of her wanting to fuck him in front of a giant snake would be enough to penetrate even his thick skull, but it's not. Meadow has started at Columbia, where she is roommates with the most annoying person in the world who cries if you step on an ant. Meadow does her best to try and cheer the poor girl up, but Meadow's new beau, Noah, reaches his limit and slams her with a restraining order after he gets one question wrong on a test. What a fucking dickhead. Noah also has a confrontation with Tony after Tony discovers that he is, (gasps) gasp, black, but also, oh god, gasp, Jewish, Meadow doesn't appreciate this because, you know, it's disgusting. But that's our Tony, I guess. Eventually, Noah breaks up with Meadow, so Tony can finally breathe a sigh of relief. That is, until she starts dating Jackie Jr, who is trying his best at making only terrible decisions every moment of the day. Like selling ecstasy on campus, and then cheating on a mob boss's daughter, then robbing a poker game full of made men, and then shooting at them. Meadow does break up with the loser, thank goodness. And not long after that, Ralphie, Jackie's wannabe stepdad, has him whacked for being an idiot. Speaking of Ralphie, he wants to be a captain, but Tony thinks he's a wild card, and he puts a man he can trust in charge of new work on the Esplanade instead. You see, Ralphie would have a chance at a management position, but he has a penchant for snorting a kilo of coke while quoting Gladiator and beating women to death. And that can really tarnish a brand, you know? Unfortunately, the guy Tony put in charge dies Elvis-style, and he has little choice but to promote Ralphie. Surprisingly, Ralphie steps up to the plate. He's always a dickhead, he can't help it, but when push comes to shove, he does what he has to, like killing his girlfriend's kid. You know, like I mentioned earlier. Tony's new girlfriend is a little off-kilter. Who knew that meeting someone in your therapist's waiting room was a bad idea? I mean, if Tony watched Sex and the City, he would know better, because Carrie makes the exact same mistake with John Bon Jovi in episode 213. Anyway, the new Guma or new goo, if you will, has mood fluctuations that leave Tony with a permanent steak-shaped dent on the back of his head. Then she tries to befriend Carmela and threatens to tell Meadow about his affair. Mr Soprano doesn't take too kindly to this and chokes her out. Then he sends one of his friends to threaten to shoot her nipples off. I think she gets the point. Dr. Melfi is still treating Tony. She gets raped. It's terrible. The cops fuck up the rape kid and he is released for a million reasons. Melfi is tempted to sick Tony onto her rapist, but she saves her own soul and says nothing. Uh, what else happens? Oh, yeah. Carmella contemplates leaving Tony after they go to therapy together and then she sees her own psych. Dr. Freud pretty much yells at her to get a divorce or be condemned to hell forever. She does get a second opinion from a priest, though, and he tells her to take the good and draw a clear boundary separating her from the bad. In one of the final scenes, we see her reading up on real estate licences, so hopefully next season we'll feel a little more like House Hunters and a little less like Law & Order SVU. Also, in one episode, Paulie and Chris, but mostly Paulie, absolutely fuck up a simple pickup job, and they kind of end up murdering a guy twice somehow, and they get stuck in the snow-covered woods. It is very, very good, 100% hilarious and horrifying. I think that's it for the season. The end. Deep
0: dive. It's cool to know other people think about this stuff too. I love that uh, when Carmela is trying to draw a moral line in the sand, you know, where she's going to separate herself from Tony and make her own way. She chose to be a real estate agent mm-hmm. of all things, of all legitimate, The you most know.
1: righteous of professions, <laughs> absolutely.
0: Um... So, a couple of things that were definitely worth talking about in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, that episode you were talking about at the end, mm-hmm. um, Pine Barrens. Yes. That's the episode that was directed by Steve Buscemi. Oh, it's great. Yeah. that's my favourite. At the very, very <laughs> end of the episode, it was in the credits like, oh, there ah, you go. Cute. And I was like, do you direct more of this? No, it was just that episode, as far mm-hmm. as I'm aware. Um, so, Livia died.
1: Yeah. That RIP. happens
0: very early on. And this is because the actual actress for Livia, Nancy Marchand, died in real life mm. between seasons. Did you realise they were doing a digital face replacement in that first episode? I did, yeah. It I
1: was, was like, it looks weird. Yes. And then I remember, I'm like, I'm pretty sure the actress did die. So, I yeah. just assumed that's what they did, yeah.
0: It, so, they were just, they was using archival footage from uh, alternate takes mm. from episodes past. It looks
1: pretty good for the I time, right? I was surprised. Right? Yeah. It, at
0: first, I was just like, something's weird with the lighting. Her face <laughs> isn't like it's in the same room as the rest of the shot. Yeah. And I was like, that's a digital face replacement in 20? 2001? Mm. What's happening here? At which point I went and Googled and then she died, like, yeah. scenes later. But I was like, wow, that was a pretty good effort. And it was cool to be able to to make that work, I think, just to give Livia one final yeah. scene. Um, I was rather impressed by that, actually. Me too. The time. Uh, all right. Let's start with Tony. What do you think Tony's journey was this
1: season? Um, crap, what a cool question you've asked me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think this season was particularly hard in terms of progress because they had to navigate the loss of Livia. Sure. Um, And so they do this thing where they say that he has transferred his need to get approval and love from a manipulative um, toxic person from Gloria this Mm -hmm. time around, which doesn't really track for me. Sure. I don't think. Because um, I don't think Carmelo is like that. I don't think. Dr. Melfi
0: does mention that he's like, this is the one good decision he's made in his life, is yeah. marrying Carmella. Like- but then
1: you think of like, you know, the Russian girl and stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure his past romantic relationships, like that, if that is actually true or if now th- it's just, a, uh, we need to continue the conversation about Livia and obviously it needs to be affecting his life day to day so Malfi can talk about it so we'll create this character and say that it's some kind of transferal.
0: I I do feel like the phone conversations from his uh, Russian girlfriend from seasons past Mm. was to establish that she's of a similar like place as Livia and Gloria is which I'm not sure agreed. I'm not sure no. it's as true. I think Gloria is closer to Olivia in some ways in terms yeah. of how manipulative and stuff she is. I don't think the Russian ex-girlfriend particularly is. She's just kind of sad and yeah. young. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, poor you, know, thing. you know, she's got no real career. She's trying no. to make a life for herself. She had this man who was providing for her and she's in a foreign country. Like there were parts of her mm. ...story that makes sense why she would be clinging to Tony... Yeah. ...not in the same way that Gloria you know, is. and
1: I think, like, Livia's whole thing is, like... ...Tony could never be in control in that situation. There was a clear power dynamic there that was playing out... ...that I don't feel is playing out with Gloria. Because, I mean, like, he's Tony Soprano... ...and she's just, like, this woman that he is, yes, infatuated with... Yeah. ...but at no point do I feel like she has any real power... Um,
0: she she gains power once she realizes once she has the very convenient situation of having Carmela be in her shop, <laughs> yeah, and then realizing it and driving her home and learning about his life. But
1: even then, like you know, Tony will just like kill her if she does anything. Um, sorry, I was gonna. Have a- well, that, but that that
0: is potentially the story of this season. Where where yeah. is Tony's line here? Because his reaction to Ralphie killing his girlfriend, the dancer, mm. is one of, how the fuck could you do something like that? Mm. And then he's in a similar situation with Gloria ultimately towards the end where he is probably about to murder her and has to decide that it's not worth it. He just has to scare her enough to stop yeah. her from, which I'm not sure is that morally that better- much better. Like He's not really drawing a line so much as, okay, I'm not <laughs> going to kill this woman. I'm just going to terrify her <laughs> yeah. to the point where she will no longer come anywhere near me.
1: Well, I think this is the... I feel like this show draws a line between the killing of the young girl who is, like, this seeming to be, like, innocent and is hasn't really done anything wrong. I mean, she hasn't threatened to blow up Ralphie's life. Ralphie offers that to her himself and then loses his shit and kills her. Whereas Tony, you know, this woman is, like, obsessed with him and, like, coming into his life and how dare she and therefore, like, She's so annoying and so, like, in the way that he then is justified in choking her and then threatening to kill her. So, I feel like they, they're then never kind of seen in the same way or examined in the same way.
0: Well, they're not examined in the same way because of what you said during your review. Mm. They are not so much characters with their own storylines yeah. as they are vehicles to explore our male characters. This is the difference between Ralphie and Tony, I yeah. guess. Ralphie will kill this woman and have no second thoughts about it and Tony has the potential and the ability to do the same thing but ultimately is able to stop himself and Mm. find another way to uh, abuse her to the point where she won't come near him anymore. And that's a real problem this show has. It frustrates me no end and it is my least favourite episode for this reason and I was looking up like Best episodes of Sopranos, see what people think about. And University, which is the episode that centers on Meadow and this dancer and then mm. Ralphie killing her, is considered to be one of the better episodes of the show.
1: That's shocking to me. Right. It's my least, I think, yeah, my least favorite.
0: It's my least favorite too, because of what it's doing. A, it's just bludgeoning me over the head with this idea that men are shit to women, which this mm-hmm. show has established plenty already. I yeah. did not need that to happen. And then this character exists for one episode and one episode only. As far as only, as far as I'm aware, she's not any other episodes with Ralphie or anything like that. If mm. she is, it's so insignificant as for me not to notice. And then she is dead, so Tony can be angry with Ralphie, so we can have this moral dilemma about what to do with mm. Ralphie fuck you, yeah. show. It's like, not only
1: that, it's like, and then, you know, so Stacy is brutally beaten. Stacy,
0: thank you. You seem to even know her name. Yeah,
1: Is beaten to death at the back of the club. And then, yes, yeah, not only so, then Ralphie becomes our villain in that moment and for like a few episodes in this season. Yeah. But also so in that exact same episode, Tony can have a moment of vulnerability in front of Melfi and Carmella in therapy. Yeah. It's just like, I just, you made me watch this poor woman get fucking beaten to death for that. Yeah. Like, it just, the balance is way fucking off for, like, the justification of showing that amount of violence. And, you know, it just reminds me of, like, then what happens to Melfi and stuff, which is a brutal, brutal scene that yeah. goes for so fucking long. I have no idea why it needs to go for that long or to see as much of it as we do.
0: I think that is what you said uh Sign of the Times Mm -hmm. in terms of uh, probably what made it brave, bold television to some degree was it was willing to do something like that Mm -mm. when other shows wouldn't have been. Um, The funny thing is we've gone from that side of the spectrum back to like Game of Thrones where they cut away and we're annoyed because they're showing another character's face instead of the experience of our character who's going through a brutal rape in Game of Thrones uh, at the same time, I don't think we want either of those things. No. There is a way... I would
1: just say probably less scenes of people being raped. Yeah. And you can have stories about rape. I don't Absolutely. necessarily think you need to have scenes where we watch people being raped.
0: Well, interestingly, the story around Melfi uh, after this, I thought, was rather compelling. One of the I, I thought se- it was great. One of the best stories for Melfi that we've had mm-hmm. in terms of it was a very complex uh, look at her relationship with... Tony Mm -hmm. and the power that does come from that, and her obvious affection for Tony, and then you talk about like finding that moral Mm. line, her choosing to know that she has the power to to ruin this guy if she wanted to, but not going, not doing it, is is rather compelling.
1: She is doing what Carmela wants to do, which is clearly like saying these are these are my this is my morality, this is Mm. my soul. Um, this is what I need to do to keep it even though I am in proximity to you. And it's a line I simply will not cross. And Carmella is considering it, perhaps trying to make moves to be in that space as well. But so far in it, it's quite hard to detach yourself. Um, but, yeah, so Melfi is living in a way that probably I think Carmella would like to one day eventually. But, I mean, I really like the stuff they do in terms of, Malfi, I think the basics of it I really like and I really like what that is.
0: The general outline of it, I agree. The, a-
1: the execution, and I'm not just talking about the rape scene, yep. but the execution is like we spend so much time in the small, innocuous minutiae of Tony and his family yep. doing nothing. I think some of the best story here is what's going on with Malfi and and they just make her have the most most obvious conversations in in the quickest amount of time about really complex things. I would love to spend more time with Melfi. I would love to spend more time in her life. If this is the kind of really interesting stuff they want to be doing, amazing. I think like that journey that we saw after her rape and then deciding, you know, indulging both consciously and subconsciously in the power that she gets from being close to Tony Mm -hmm. and then ultimately deciding not to go there. That could be over like three episodes like, but it's just so short. They just don't spend the time in it whereas we spend how many fucking hours with Meadow in that goddamn dorm room?
0: Meadow Meadow, we get so much Meadow this season Mm. and so much of it it feels so disconnected Mm -hmm. from what's happening back in New Jersey. I'm not really sure I'm that interested in this Young girl's experience at a university or a college in New York that much? Her annoying well, doormate, her I don't think shitty boyfriend. The like, writers
1: seem that interested either. They haven't written anything interesting yeah. or they like, feels, you know, genuine or like they uh, have a deeper understanding of like a young woman coming into her own, experiencing new things at university. Mm. I mean, oh, she's just a bit of a drip.
0: Well, most of the time it's just. At the very start of this season, Mm. Tony is a racist piece of shit. She tells him he's Mm -hmm. a racist piece of shit, gets angry at him, and is angry at him for most of the season about it. Mm -hmm. And that is driving most of what is happening in the rest of her life. Well, she's
1: just angry all the time. (laughs) There aren't really any levels. And then she's like, she becomes... So either, I feel like most women here are like really angry Mm. or just so obsessed with a man that they're fucking annoying. Like, there, there's so much of that. Just extreme anger, extreme emotions or just extreme obsession. And it's just a bit boring. Do you,
0: do you think you see what they're trying to do with Meadow and AJ in terms of, like, the two sides of Tony but, like, separate into different personalities? Like, AJ seems to be falling in line with Tony's anxiety and mm. he's like... um Uh, anxiety attacks and his blackouts or whatever he's fainting. And then Meadows got the anger side going on. The way she's, like, throwing the bread at Junior at the end. It's like, what the fuck is wrong with you, kid? (laughs) Um, Getting super drunk and, like, just reckless to the point of, like, running into the middle Mm. of a busy street and stuff like this.
1: Yeah, and maybe it comes down to simply, you know, talking about the time that this was made. It's like the lack of subtlety, (laughs) perhaps even sometimes the lack of nuance around... That's the that's really
0: frustrating. Is cause sometimes I think it does its nuance so yeah. well, almost to the point of like, can we get this trainer moving a little bit? Mm. It's so interested it's so interesting to interiorise its characters, which is great, but I can get really bogged down in it, and mm. then it does really obvious over the top, over the yeah. top like hit you over the head stuff as well and it doesn't really mesh the two all that well sometimes mm-hmm. and like it's feeling itself out but we're three seasons in now and I, if like if this was season one I would be a little bit more forgiving mm. but three seasons in I'm waiting for, waiting for this to all mesh together into a really cohesive exciting way that makes me interested from one episode to the next I think that's what I'm trying to say it's like the pacing and the focus and the variety it's just not come together to make something super compelling for me yet mm-hmm. I see the elements yeah but it can't fit it all together properly. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I, I think I agree with that. There is... I am invested in Tony. I mean, I just... James Gandolfini is just so good that I'm so like... So good. I'm in. And maybe that's also another part of it is, like, performances. So, we yes. look at, like, the performances of Meadow, AJ, Meadow's college friends. Mm-hmm. Performances are not great. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not saying the dialogue is fabulous because mm. it's certainly not. But... Um, but perhaps, you know, those young people aren't able to sell it as well as a lot of the more experienced actors do in other scenes. Um, So that that could be an issue there. But, yeah, no, I think I I do agree with you in terms of there's a lot there that I am interested in, but, yeah, there's certainly – very wide gaps in between the really good stuff and the stuff that I'm generally not interested yeah. in at all. Yeah, yeah.
0: there's no doubt there are definitely highs yeah. in this show. Um, I didn't love Pine Barrens as much as you did. I think I was really struggling with the show at that point, mm. but I s- see why people... Mm-hmm. That's an episode that a lot of people talk about as being their favourite episode as yeah. well. I see the appeal of that episode. Um,
1: it was just nice to spend like good chunk of time with characters that I'm actually invested in. Like, I really like Paulie, even though they do some weird stuff with him early on, with him sniffing underwear for some reason. They,
0: they've spent the season trying to, like, I think they're obviously setting Pauling up to to do some bad shit. His yeah. whole thing against, like, Pussy was a rat bastard, blah, 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 is to set up, well, he's going to do similar stuff, but he's going to feel self-righteous about it. He mm. feels burnt by Tony, he's constantly being undermined well, for his own reasons. Yeah, with
1: the New York family and stuff. So it may not yeah. be with the feds, but there may be a level of uh, the,
0: the new, yeah. being a
1: turncoat in, in some uh, capacity. I think yeah. that's
0: exactly what they're setting up um, in that last scene of the season yeah. with him. Yeah. I'm
1: liking this version of Chris who seems pretty competent at what he's doing.
0: This was a good season for Chris. There wasn't a heap of him. No,
1: but what I got, I liked. But him yeah.
0: maturing out of that guy who wanted to be a screenwriter last season mm-hmm. into someone who maybe actually can hold his own is going to be an yeah. asset for the family now mm-hmm. was enjoyable. I actually did like that with Chris this season. I liked his stuff with Paulie when he was starting to run the gambling ring. I liked his stuff with Paulie when they were in the snow. Yes and like, really like that. That that showing Paulie sort of fading into the background because he's got he's problematic and Chris coming to the fore and mm. he's going to start earning Tony's respect and like and watching how that is going to affect Paulie, I Enjoy. I yes. really like that stuff. That's what makes yeah. Pine Barrens an interesting episode and ultimately what...
1: Mm. I think, like, I yeah. really like Tony with his, like, close crew. I really enjoy those scenes. I wish there was a little bit more of Well, it. that's what I'd say. Like, I really like that and I really like scenes with just him and Carmela. Like, that stuff I really like. There's, But there was so much of Meadow this season. There was so much of, like, girlfriends and shit that I didn't really care about. I was also, like you. I think you mentioned earlier, struggling with the Melfi scenes. Yeah. They're very, very dry at the moment. Not a lot is being said. Um, I was, obviously, like I said earlier, invested in what was going on personally for Melfi, but I didn't get enough of that either. I thought it was kind of brushed aside it pretty quickly. becomes a jealousy
0: thing. You can just see she's, like, pro- poking and prodding both Gloria and Tony because she... Wants to be Gloria in this situation. Like, there, well, there's an element that she's more
1: to it than that. Possibly,
0: but there's like, it stops being, it's not about that, like, I'm close to power anymore. It's that she's curious about that relationship. She's being very unprofessional. She, yes, she
1: absolutely is. I think she just likes being, you know, of utmost importance to Tony. She also doesn't like to be fucking lied to, <laughs> um, oh, which that's- at the beginning she is and all that stuff. But yeah, I, th- I think you're, you're not wrong there, but I do think it's probably a little bit more complicated. But like I say, we need to spend more time. Just not those tiny glimpses of scenes of her in that room. Well,
0: it's funny because it's become part of the formula. And yeah. I do like the therapy scenes as like commentary, right? Mm-hmm. It's like instead of a noir narration, we get Tony sitting in a room with Malfi and yeah. talking about stuff. And that scene lasts a minute or two and we move on. We might get one or two of those in an episode. And I missed them because we had less of those in season two. Mm. I was really glad. I think it's episode two, the first time we see Melfi. And I was like, cool, we're back in Melfi's office. Thank God. And I enjoyed the stuff with Carmella being there as well. Yes, like, me too. The, added
1: a new dynamic to it, which I thought was good. It did. It mm. Absolutely.
0: I I appreciate those the spice that that puts into our little recipe here. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it can feel underwhelming at times when it's not building to want something bigger, mm. and that is kind of overall what I'm feeling. It's just a lack of like, well, what are we doing here? That's why I wanted to ask the question: What did you? What has happened over the course of three seasons of Sopranos? Tony has moved into a leadership role, mm-hmm. and a lot of this has been him dealing with what that means for the family, capital F, and his family. Mm. I kind of wish there was, like I said, this doesn't have to be a show about mob warfare all the time. Mm. But I do sometimes wish there was more like cuz my favorite episode this season cuz it's going to be easy to explain why I liked about this even though how we got there through the Ralphie murdering this woman was the wrong way to do it in terms of motivation. Mm. The episode where Tony's trying to figure out what to do with Ralphie mm. was very good for me because mm-hmm. it was a good examination of the complexities of his role as boss. Yeah. In terms of he's got this guy who's this because last season when we had I can't remember his name the the super violent guy right yeah but the first time we meet him he beats the shit out of that guy in the pizza parlor and they're trying to deal with him and he's obviously just a loose cannon. Janice's boyfriend Janice's boyfriend yeah. right we'll talk about Janice in a bit as well yeah. um. He was obviously bad from the start. Mm -hmm. Nothing changed. He was just a violent element who eventually got rid of, and he didn't have, Tony had nothing to do with it. Mm. Janice got rid of him. He just had to help deal with the body. And he was there and he was gone. I was like, what the fuck was the point of that? Ralphie to me is a much more compelling bad guy or rogue element Mm. because I understand his worth. This guy has respect from his crew, he earns heaps for them. But he's too much of a loose cannon for Tony to make him in a leadership role. So, when he's running out of options and he has to put him in that position, how Tony deals with that and manages Mm. that, because ultimately that's his role, he's a manager, is great. That's
1: a development I really enjoyed this season was, because obviously we have Tony in earlier seasons kind of coming up against Junior and like fighting to be put into that leadership position mm-hmm. and all of that stuff. Now, kind of, Livia is obviously out of commission. Junior is unwell, um, struggle has health issues. And seeing, I mean, the only times we really see Junior is when Tony comes over to ask for advice or just to have, like, yeah. a chat about stuff, which I really, really enjoy. Like, that change and that dynamic, I, I thought was good. Sure. Yeah. Um, but I'm wondering if this season is perhaps... The, the King settling into the throne before the shit hits the fan next season. I don't I, know. I,
0: th- I would have felt the same way about last season, though. And mm. that's what I mean is, like, what's happened? Because King settling into the throne in season in season two and then maybe starting to mm. push against him again and, and really challenging him is what I felt like should have happened this season. I'm three yeah. years into this show and I'm halfway through. Mm. I'm waiting for that, like... That narrative thread that's going to start to push us towards the end of the season. And I just wonder whether I'm I'm asking for something that's not going to come, mm-hmm. right? I wonder whether I want this show to be something that it's not. It Perhaps,
1: I said yeah. it in season
0: one. This is really a family drama. Mm. And it's more about the, the small F family than the big F family sometimes. Yeah. I want it to be a little bit more about the capital F stuff because that's the exciting part. Mm -hmm. Does that make me a basic bro because of that? No, but I also
1: think that it doesn't necessarily have to be the most exciting part, but they haven't made the the lowercase f family exciting. It could be, but there isn't a whole lot of change going on there either. So... If if they want it to be a family drama, lowercase family drama, Mm. then they could make that really exciting and like have big changes or like, you know, character arcs that you're like, whoa, okay, we're really going somewhere now. Um, You feel that then propelling us towards something, but they're not really doing that in that family. And so you want those big moments that you get with the capital F family.
0: Yes. Yeah, I think that's it. It's, I don't know. I like. I feel. I wonder. I'm just not watching this show correctly, or something like that. Probably the fact that we're watching it. You know, I watched this over two weeks basically mm. to get up to speed. It was coming out weekly, but it's. Oh man, I can't imagine watching this over like 13 episodes over 13 weeks and feeling compelled to come back next week. That's the bit I can't. I just. I don't know what the draw I mean, is from week to week.
1: Well, if you're already paying for HBO, you've got <laughs> this and Sex in the City, and that's it. So.
0: Um, what do you think about Janice's inclusion this season? Because I kind of thought at the end of last season, I wrote this myself, was that she was in and she was out. She came mm-hmm. in to be that sort of chaotic element, chaotic element mm-hmm. and then she was gone. And then she comes back, especially once Livia dies, mm-hmm. which makes sense. She's there. Yeah. And she's there. She's there being Janice, doing Janice things. And then she kind of just disappears into the background again. And I was like, oh, why is Janice here again? I i don't understand. Like I don't,
1: yeah, no, I don't understand either. I guess like, Tony, but he has Junior in terms of like family. I don't know what she's doing there.
0: We have the like, she comes back.
1: And I love that actress, but Janice wasn't, she because she the thing about Janice, what I enjoyed last season was like, yes, she's annoying, but she was like a fun little ba- or thing in the way for Tony mm. that I was enjoying. Now she just comes up and is, and is annoying. Without With less fun to it.
0: If if it was just she was back in Jersey to do the Livia funeral bit and mm. that awful, hard to watch, but very well-executed scene where she's trying to get everyone to talk about yeah. Livia. <laughs> very Janice of it, yes. right? That would have been enough. And then, Tulu, we'll see you later mm. when we need you back in the plot. But she sticks around in Livia's house to terrorise... The Russian, like, housemaid or mm-hmm. helper for Livia, yeah. takes her leg, leg to yeah. get beaten up by Russians who ultimately get the leg back. And that's, and then she's gone all born again Christian with this. Uh, uh, what uh, is it just a comedic element that I don't think is funny? Like, why I is think she sticking around? it might
1: be. And they're like, so her dealing with those Russians, are they in any way connected? They would be connected to the Russians that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't I, I. don't know. Yeah, I think it's probably mostly a comedic thing, which we kind of used to get from like Christopher and stuff when he's moved away from that. We don't have a lot of like bam, bam, bam dialogue moments with Paulie and what's the other one called?
0: Uh, Sylvia.
1: Sylvia. Yeah, I forget too because we, they don't give him anything to do. Yeah, <laughs> we get less of those guys. So I think, yeah, Janice might be coming in for a bit of the the hijinks maybe. I don't know.
0: What's Christopher's girlfriend's name? Starts with A. I want to say Adriana or something like it that. It is but- Adriana. Oh, yeah. good. Okay. She, like, her as well, they don't give her a lot to do except be. They've introduced at the end that she's making friends with this FBI agent yeah, who's going to infiltrate set up stuff. For next season, the yeah. rest of the season, she is happy that Christopher's moving up the ranks and she's getting mm. shoes out of it. Yeah. And then she's got Archie, who is like decided, apparently, he's fallen in love with her and is mm. a pathetic. You know, He's piece a of shit now. now, yeah. And then the tennis teacher in the first episode,
1: oh, the lesbian. Yes. What the
0: fuck was that scene? What was what was that? I don't know. That didn't amount to anything except calm, like making really judgmental looks. What the fuck was that? I don't. I don't the, know. The first the, the first few episodes of this season and the last few episodes are not connected in any way. Like that's the bit that's frustrating mm. as well. I feel like there is so little like arc happening here. There is no. Uh, shaping the story over the... Because we-, we review this as seasons. Mm. And so I consider a season in a lot of ways to be in itself an episode of this show, a chapter in this yeah, story. Yeah, I agree. I'm not... It- 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 the start and the end do not connect in any real way. Oh, it's- the FBI have their... Uh, episode or two at the start of the season Mm. they disappear because Meadow takes the lamp to university and they're back at the end because they figured out another way to get into it. Why was the FBI in this season at all they did nothing? Do you
1: think because of the way that the show was being made they didn't feel overly compelled to stitch it together in a way that feels like a total hole? Like is that just the way that you could make TV back then. The expectation was different.
0: I'll give you my honest opinion. Honest. I think David Chase had a movie mm. in his mind that was season one of The Sopranos and ever since then he's just been riffing. He's mm-hmm. been riffing and riffing and riffing, which is what Breaking Bad did, but Breaking Bad was better at making, moving, the, propelling the story forward and getting us to those like new, exciting, what's going to happen now elements. Very different show. Don't mm-hmm. li- I don't want to compare them because they're doing extremely different things. Mm-hmm. But like they talk about how that is just like, that was like, improvisation and jazz. They were just writing and just figuring it out as they went along with, mm-hmm. with Breaking Bad. And I kind of feel like that's what's happening with this show as well, but it's got less direction and it, so it treads over old ground. Yeah. It, well, it I think picks just up leads and Chase then drops them. Is is
1: um, less inclined to um, do insane things the way Breaking Bad was. I, I, the, yeah. Breaking Bad was like, insane thing, and then he his magical science mind will solve it. They don't forget...
0: If they if something happens in Breaking Bad, it is not Mm. forgotten about. It -hmm. is either it reminds you that thing's there and will come back to it later, or it deals with it immediately. Mm -hmm. And like this, just sometimes feels like it's
1: a day in the life. A
0: day in the life of Carmela is you know not feeling great about her relationship with Tony for some reason. Tony's cheating on Carmela and is dealing with the his family and the family.
1: Uh, I'm just waiting for the next step. Is it though? It's like the expectation is you want it to be building towards a specific thing, but maybe it is, you know, sometimes a day in the life of, and it doesn't necessarily need to. They're not constantly being like, it's all coming together. Maybe that's not what what the show is. That's where my expectation might
0: be getting in the way is that I wanted to amount to something a little Mm. bit more exciting than that, and that's my fault. (laughs) And that might be, that might be as much, well, if it's my fault, it might be because that's why I've been conditioned to believe or think about television, mm-hmm. right? It's it's not funny enough to be a comedy where I come back every episode and laugh for a bit and feel, feel complete because of that or satisfied because of that. Mm-hmm. It's not, the family drama is not good enough for me to go, I'm glad I watched that episode of this family drama. The crime drama is not satisfied. And so it's like, I'm just kind of left going, so what are we doing here? Why Why do I keep coming back to this show? And that's yeah. my ultimate question.
1: Do you think in terms of, like, wanting to come back, even if it's not, like, building towards one specific thing that you can kind of track all the way through, is it also an issue because it is so character-focused that you're also not getting to know them better? Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. I think that is... that is the part of my issue with this. I don't feel like I'm getting to know them better. Like, spending so much time with Meadow and stuff, I feel like I should know her better. Sure. I don't think I do.
0: I think that's it. And I think mm. that comes down to the show does not challenge them in the ways that I want it to, to do that. Mm-hmm. It's like, Carmela keeps having the Tony of it all discussion. Mm-hmm. Can you find a different Angle to Carmela. I know this season they push her down the road a little bit in terms of, oh, she's decided where she's going to draw that line. But we kind of were doing that in season one when she was fucking around with the priest. Mm. We were kind of doing that in other seasons as well. Can we can we find a different storyline for Carmela for a while? Maybe that comes next season when she's going to be a real estate agent. That's mm. going to be good. But it's like, I just want the next layer beyond the first thing we know about them. Mm-hmm. She is a mobster's wife. That is the defining characteristic of Carmela. Mm-hmm. And that is what we spent three seasons dealing with. Mm-hmm. Tony has problems with his his relationship with his mother. That can, is that a six-season show? Mm. Is that a six-season show? Or is that one to two seasons? Even, like, coming back to the pussy of it all again with the fish thing. I was like, okay, you reminded me that Tony struggles with the pussy thing. We have flashbacks to finding out they remember when he was finally turned into an FBI informant. Mm-hmm. Did we need that? We knew that t- we we spent time with Pussy as an FBI informant. We know that Tony wasn't wrong about that. Mm. Did we need that episode? What did that tell us about Tony that we needed to know in that moment? Why was that so important to have that episode? I
1: mean, it was, I think it was just to reiterate that while, yes, he was in his... Moral compass, right to do that, and justified in doing that. That he and a lot of them do still struggle with it, even if they don't overtly state that they're struggling with it sure. in individual ways.
0: Then, what did that do in the immediate sense for the story we're going through with Tony at the moment, though? Well, that's a what whole I'm epi- because there's a whole think, episode. Dedicated yeah, that's what, to what that. I'm saying.
1: Though I, I don't think that's what this show is trying yeah, to that's, do.
0: That's that's the that's the there's a, a certain sophisticated storytelling that modern television does better, where it it. It doesn't just put elements on the table to go, oh, well, isn't that interesting? Mm. It does it because it's going to at least fold back into what else is happening around us. Yeah. And that's what I'm missing from this show. Mm-hmm. we talk about pace and stuff. I think yeah. that's it. I'm starting to rant now. I'm going to stop. <laughs> <laughs> any last words? Final thoughts. That's why you always leave a note. Got any side notes to mask?
1: Uh, Perez Hilton was in episode three, I noticed.
0: Oh, is that Perez Hilton?
1: At the benefit thing. Oh, right. Yeah, he's just like a random, he has like one line. I was like, I know that face. Fuck that guy.
0: <laughs> I don't know that face particularly well. As so I had no idea.
1: Yeah. Um. There's one line of Janice's I really enjoyed, which was just kind of how delusional she is. She's like talking to Tony and she's like, you know, until Richie died, I was functioning at a very high level, <laughs> which I very much enjoyed. Um, but oh, I enjoyed how much Ralphie was quoting Gladiator. And that was, like, at the beginning, that was just his thing, just constantly quoting it.
0: I was trying to think, like, did Gladiator just come out? Must at have. The time of, but they, it's interesting, they were talking about renting it from the VHS store or something like mm. that. It was like, oh, I'll take, get it from Blockbuster or something like that. I was like, oh, it must be it must be out for a while.
1: Yeah, because wasn't the whole... wasn't I know in Australia, I feel like, a movie came out and then two years later it was yeah. out on VHS. Yeah, I mean,
0: 20 years ago, I'm not even sure. It's some interesting movies that are dropped in this, actually. Isn't I, that
1: crazy that a movie would come out and then you have to wait two years before you could watch it again? Now,
0: they come out simultaneously. <laughs> That's the word we live in. I it's love in the living in the
1: future. And
0: on my television. Mm. AJ getting um, The Matrix on DVD for a oh, birthday was pretty was great That was so great well.
1: good. It's such a teenage boy thing to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Junior has a wonderful line in which he says, Anthony is a cunt hair away from owning all of Jersey and I am that cunt hair, which I <laughs> well, loved. Uh, but, yeah, not a whole lot of side notes. What about you? Uh,
0: I was amused by the use of, like, the Blues Brothers theme in the opening episode that was then mixed with I'll Be Watching You. That- oh,
1: yes. Yeah, right. And I was
0: like, the first time they used it, it, was like, oh, that's a bit on the nose, but mm. you're having fun with that. That's fine. And then they kept using it throughout the episode. I was like... This is a really weird stylistic <laughs> choice. It's like, why do you... You're really proud of this for some reason. Um, yeah, I did want to bring up that the tennis teacher bit was just such an odd choice. I don't understand why... What it was in there. Was it meant to be funny? Was it meant to be telling us something about any of these characters? Calm rolls her eyes. Andrea seems to not... Is that a name? I always get it wrong. Seems to not... No, Adriana. Adriana seems to just not be aware of it.
1: I don't... I mean, does it free up Carmella to go back to the house or take the phone call? I don't know. It was a strange element. I'm Very sure.
0: strange element. Um, Svetlana, Livia's carer with mm-hmm. the one leg, she might be my favourite character in the show. She's great. I really enjoyed her. No, when she was telling Janice yeah. to fuck right off about yeah. the records, I was <laughs> yeah. like, this is a character I can get behind. Let's spend more time with Svetlana. Mm. I've noticed that half the dialogue in this show is people telling other people to leave the room so they can talk to one other person.
1: Constantly AJ? Constantly I think at one point he says, I always have to leave the room. (laughs) (laughs)
0: But all the time it's like, hey, can you go and buy, go go and get me a sandwich so I can talk to this. It's constantly Mm -hmm. that. It happens all the time. Or a person excuses themselves like, I'm just going to go check out this thing because you two people need to have a private conversation. I can't
1: wait to be a parent so I can be like- go get me something yeah. and just have them bring me food all the time. All the time. I've just remembered a, another couple of lines that I really enjoyed. It sure. was in episode 11 uh, with Chris and Paulie. And Chris just says, I'm dying here. And Paulie just turns and says, then die already. <laughs> yeah. Which I was like, beautiful, beautiful moment. Mm.
0: Um, A couple of just little cameos in this show. Mm-hmm. More like, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio hey, pointing you. at the screen. Yeah. Um, Buster Bluth, Tony Hale, was yes. the guy who was like the doing chemo the chemotherapy yeah. uh, for <laughs> He's junior. always in
1: Doctors and Things. He's, he's in Dawson's Creek as a doctor really? and it's just so hard to take <laughs> him seriously.
0: <laughs> um, and Michael K. Williams, also known as Omar from The Wire, yes. and he was also in Lovecraft Countries in the second last episode. I just realized we didn't talk about Jackie Jr. once. We don't need to. <laughs> he wh- Moron. Well, it's a, he was ultimately a pretty important part of this season. He was, yeah. But he is as much a plot element... For the sake of their existing and more important characters, mm. as any of the women that get just killed off for the sake of it too. Like yeah. he is there to be a thorn in the side of Tony and Ralphie, really, for the most part. Mm. And they I did I did like the conversation Ralphie was having with Jackie Jr. actually about like how Tony and Jackie Sr. Came made up, their yeah. name by robbing this mm. game. And that Ralphie didn't go along, and he sort of got left behind because of it. Yeah, and that was really interesting. The some of the backstory stuff was interesting too, like the flashbacks with Tony to his childhood in mm. terms of seeing his dad, you know, cutting the guy's finger off. Gross. Yeah, and then when he finally, or when he eventually had his first panic attack, when Livy was cutting into the roast, the meat, yeah, the meat was was and he's got
1: a connection to food and meat and stuff with the panic to attack. Gub-a-goo. Yeah, yeah. Gub-a-goo. Um, yeah. I also like the fact that. Jackie Jr. kind of was the catalyst for Ralphie to reflect on his own decision-making. So, like, obviously he's encouraging Jackie Jr. to be kind of careless and do things that he probably shouldn't be doing. And then ultimately, because he has done that, he then has to make the decision to kill Jackie Jr.
0: I really, really, really like Ralphie as an element of this show. As Mm -hmm. someone whose self-interest he and his... Petulance about not being respected more Mm. is really compelling in terms of being a chaotic element in a way that... I can't remember the guy's name from last season. Richie. Richie, Mm. they were trying to be, but it was never convinced me because he was just such a loose cannon. It's like, just get rid of this guy.
1: Yeah, you you would never. He's
0: got no manipulative ability. He's just a blunt instrument. Mm. And Ralphie is much more compelling. I really hope we get more of Joe Pantoliano in this show because mm. I really enjoyed his inclusion. He kind of came out of nowhere. It's like, yeah. oh, this guy's been here the whole time, apparently. But um, but I want more of that because...
1: Yeah, because I think there was like... At the beginning, you think he's going to be another Richie, but then towards, you know, as the show progresses, you do see there is a legitimate reason for him to put his hand up and say, well, yes. I, I, I deserve that promotion. Um, and so... it creates more tension and more interest in when Tony is struggling to make that choice. Cause you don't want to give that guy a chance. No. But as we go on, he does. And ultimately Ralphie does what he needs to do, which was shocking in, to me. In
0: his own way though, like yeah. he couldn't <laughs> Yeah. The that the the political dynamics that need to to work here. Mm-hmm. But the conversations he's having with Tony, saying he doesn't know where Jackie is, yeah, about he,
1: timing, all, and all of that stuff, stuff
0: yeah. is kind of the part of the show I want a little bit more of yes. because that's the exciting. Yeah, the politics part. of it,
1: absolutely. Yeah.
0: Um, junior singing at the end of the final episode was properly excellent. It was like everybody getting quite emotional about that. I was like, I understand this I was would be furious very meadow.
1: Good. I was like, will you fuck off. Yeah, I'm listening.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um. I gotta ask though, mm. do you have any insight into why we got those like alternate language songs happening at the end? Like it, we stopped hearing junior. Oh, yeah, what I don't was, know. What was going on there? Do you have that that was the final thought of the season? And I have zero idea why it was doing that. And no maybe idea. it's really obvious and blunt, and I should get it, but I don't know what the show is trying to say, particularly for its Final, final moment of the season. I think
1: I was just distracted because obviously I was paying attention to Junior singing mm. and then you still see him like mouthing the words, but then it's like a woman singing. And I was just like, well, that's just distracting because now it looks like he's lip syncing to this woman's song. And then that's all my only thought on it. I was just distracted by it.
0: Th- there was like three or four different songs mm. in there anyway. Least favourite and favourite episode. What was your least favourite episode, Damask?
1: Oh, episode six, University. Um, obviously, it's the one where the sex worker gets beaten to death. Uh, so, can, so Tony can just have issues with Ralphie and then have a moment with his wife in therapy. It's with Meadow's friend who is depicted in such an over-the-top pathetic way. It was just annoying and I wanted to shoot the TV. Didn't like
0: it. I agree. Episode 6 University was my least favourite episode. Men are assholes, the episode, it should have been called. <laughs> a great example of the show being strong in its craft, it's well-constructed and performed episode, and I see why some people might think it's one of the stronger episodes of the show for that reason, but ultimately achieves nothing more than underlying the already obvious notion that women are disposable, treated like shit by men, with the possible exception of Tony to a degree. Ultimately, mm. the girl who was killed is forgotten. It's more about the tension it causes between Tony and Ralphie. However... The tension that does create between Tony and Ralphie is actually compelling, which leads me to my favourite episode, which is episode eight, He is Risen. Because it was about the complexities of Tony's position as mm. the being the boss. I don't like the way it got there, but I did like that we were having that moment. There was genuinely like tough questions and situations for Tony to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I said earlier, Ralphie is a much more compelling, like I wouldn't even say villain ultimately, but loose Canon in this show. I think
1: that's the fun turn, though, is that they take, you know, Richie 2.0, make him more complicated and actually, you know, justify his existence within the family.
0: I almost wonder if they were like, we planned for him to be the villain. Ah, he's really nailing this role. (laughs) Let's find a way to keep him around just a little bit (laughs) longer. I don't blame them. Um... Yeah, I, I think that was my favorite episode for those reasons. Mm. Um, I it's more it's an example of one I want to see more of in the show. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. What was your favorite episode?
1: Uh, it was episode eleven, so it's the one where Paulie and Pine Barrens. yeah, Chris are stuck in the snow. I think I just really enjoyed those two guys together. Yeah, I it's found a very it, fun episode. It was like moments really funny. Other moments, I was generally terrified for them. Um, and I, I think I really do love hanging out with his crew. Yes, I, I have a really good time. I can be like disgusted and horrified, or I can be like laughing and emotionally invested. Like with those guys, I, I'm in. You know what I mean? And it, I was after because I think it was not long after we had those terrible, terrible episodes. Um, and I was like, oh, I, this is the show. I actually want it to be. Yeah. Um, so I was like, oh, what a lovely reprieve. Do
0: you remember in mm. the very first season early on, I was like, oh, is this show going to be like a problem of the week show where mm. Tony is asked by someone in the community to deal with something and then mm-hmm. they he would go and do it and deal with it in his mobster way and then we'd move on. Mm. This wasn't quite that, but it reminded me of that was actually another of the show I wish there was more of sometimes mm-hmm. is just like, you know, he is a pillar of the community he people come to him and ask him for things yeah. and what is he gonna do about it? How is he gonna handle that with his position? Mm-hmm. And when you've got these Yeah, these adventures, these little escapades mm. happening that do involve fun characters like Paulie and Chris, who I gotta say. It surprises me I like Chris as much as I do, but there yeah. are multiple episodes that Chris focused I realize over the last three seasons that I like. The one I was last... nice. I'm
1: like, I agree with Chris in this scenario. yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> last season, the one where he wanted to be a screenwriter, which mm. had John Favreau and stuff in it, was actually one of the more fun episodes of that season too.
1: Mm.
0: I want to spend a bit more time with Chris in his new role. Yeah, I want to spend I'm, more time around I'm Paulie. interested
1: to see how his career develops, really yeah. yeah yeah,
0: exactly, um so it is frustrating that we seem to be kept away from that so often. And like Sylvia, I think we could do be doing fun stuff for Sylvia. Mm-hmm. And so often he's just an, the other guy in the room at he's the moment. He's just
1: gubba-gooing in the corner, yeah.
0: <laughs> we, I'm starting to wonder where we're f- really leeching on that whole gubba-goo thing I need to move on. It's starting to become maybe a bit problematic.
1: I mean, the mafiosa of it all, when it's so over the top, It is humorous to me.
0: Is it over the? That's why I wonder if it's over the top or we're just like laughing at a a racial stereotype at this point.
1: I feel like it's over the top. I mean, have you seen Paulie's hair? (laughs) Have you seen Sylvia's hair? But
0: so this show should be funnier if it was trying to. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. And
1: I think that's why I enjoy the Capital F Family stuff because it it does feel over the top.
0: Well, it was kind of what the show was set up to be to some degree, right? Like Mm. they constantly, in the first few episodes, were talking about. Like, the films of, Mm. like, mobster films. Mm -hmm. Sylvia's whole thing was just, like, quoting The Godfather and Goodfellas (laughs) and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, And, like, sure, the show has evolved past that, but, like, Mm. that was also kind of the hook, guys. That's why those characters existed. Let's not forget that Mm. part, too. Yes. I don't know. Predictions, hopes, concerns. Any predictions going forward?
1: Um, My prediction is, obviously, that Carmella will try to get some of her own income. Which Tony might have an issue with. Sure. Um, 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 yeah, I think Pauly and the New York family might be some developments there that might make Tony reevaluate Pauly's loyalty. Um, I also predict that you will buy me the Sopranos cookbook for oh, Christmas.
0: For Christmas. <laughs> Your birthday's coming up a lot sooner.
1: That's true. Oh, that's true.
0: Uh yeah, the New York mobster element in the show, is it was like subtly implanted into this season. Mm. He just sort of has a scene here or there, but it was obvious early on that he was going to be a, a destabilizing element. Yes. And it was fun to see that becoming a little bit more apparent towards the end yeah. of this season. The planting I look of to a seed, that. Yeah. yeah. I'm looking forward to more of that. They've slowly evolved Paulie to be problematic as an element over the course of this season, mm-hmm. which I quite liked what they did there. So more of that. Feels like the Russians could be a big part of the show going forward. Mm. Like there was a bit of a fire lit when they maybe didn't kill that guy. Yeah, like knows? Um, that. If you're looking for, I love
1: that guy was just like the predator in those woods. <laughs> I really enjoy that element.
0: The that felt to me like what I wanted a little bit more of the show, a little mm-hmm. bit more of that excitement, a little bit more of that danger again. And if mm-hmm. the Russians have a beef with the Sopranos, um, then that's you know, going to create some of that mobster tension that I've been missing recently. Mm-hmm. Um, so more of that would be cool. I'm worried the show is not going to follow through. Though. <laughs> I'm worried it doesn't care enough about that stuff.
1: So like, keep your expectations low and then it might be able to That's surprise true. you.
0: Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Hunting Seasons. You can find more of what we do via our website, huntingseasonspodcast.com. Our logo comes from our good friend, Sean Kirkpatrick, aka at Shawnee Boy Draws. And our theme song and bumpers are from Lucas Heil of birthday loyalty club, Find links to both of their of both those guys and their work in our show notes. You can also find myself, Broderick Gordis, on Twitter at B Gordes B G-O-R-D-E-S Damask.
1: You can find me on Twitter at Maskemoo M-A-S-K-Y-M-O-O. You
0: should also jump on Instagram. The mask has been really active recently, uh, the Instagram. I'm going to try and keep that up. We'll hunting see Seasons
1: Podcast, I think. At
0: huntingseasonspodcast.com. I think it. Oh, at hunting Seasons Podcast, I believe that is yeah, right. On the
1: Insta, yes. On the
0: Insta. Just search Hunting Seasons Podcast and I'm sure it'll come up. Yeah,
1: you'll figure it out. I believe in you guys. Yeah.
0: Next episode, we'll be back to discuss Ted Lasso Season 1.
1: Woohoo!
0: This wasn't really on my radar. I'm halfway through the season so far. Mm. I'm very, very, very much looking forward to talking I, about I it. I
1: watched it during lockdown. It was the perfect remedy.
0: Yeah. Mm. It's. It's right up my alley. Yeah,
1: if you want to be put in a good mood, pop on Ted Lasso.
0: It maybe is doing for you what the Queen's Gambit did for me to some <laughs> degree.
1: Wow, I did not expect that comparison. Well,
0: well, I talked about that the Queen's Gambit was really just a sports film. It... Yeah, it
1: was a shit one though. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll talk about the difference between the Queen's Gambit and Ted Lasso next week. In the meantime, thank you again for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye for now. Bye.